What's up, fam? Uh, Kyle here from the Value Heads Value podcast. Um, wanted to just talk a little bit about what this episode is. Um, we recorded it about a week and a half ago. Uh, today is June 15th. It was recorded sometime uh, the first week of June. And it's Wilkie's perspective on what had happened to George Floyd and the unrest and there are a lot of things that have happened since um, and it's cutting pretty deep with him um, but I, I checked with him and, and he still wanted this episode to go out uh, so people could hear his perspective um, and from my perspective as a white man with all the privilege in the world I'm trying to learn that's all I can do right now. So um, I hope that there's a way that we can support you during this time. If you are a teacher or a student, um, if you have a perspective you want to share, please let us know. Um, we'd be happy to share it. But I hope you'll take the time to listen to Wilkie's perspective and the perspective of black people that are around you and the black people that are not around you so we can all get to a point where um, where things are better i hope that comes soon but for now uh we hope you enjoy this episode of podcast if you like it please subscribe share it um and uh we hope to get to see you soon how are you? Uh, you know, as nothing would say, living the dream every day. Living the dream. Did, did you decide to go down to the protest? I, I didn't. I, I ended up, I didn't get out of my meetings until after five o'clock. You had meetings from one to five? Well, I had one meeting from one to three, which is a training. And then after that, we had a meeting. Discuss, um, to discuss what was discussed in the meeting. So you had a you had a meeting to discuss the meeting. Yeah, because it wasn't it wasn't content specific for math. It was curriculum writing overall general. So you had good morning. Uh, it was curriculum writing in general. So it was like just it was math, science, reading, social studies. Everybody was in there. So then afterwards, our department, our program director met with us individually as a group, just a math group to go over everything that was discussed <clears throat> and how it relates to us. <clears throat> Seemed like the protests in Houston were very peaceful, though. Yeah. Over 60,000 people in the Bay was out there. Oh, Nevaeh went out there? Mm-hmm. Her and her mom and her best friend and her mom. Yeah. Like I said, I, I definitely would have gone. Um, and, um, <clears throat> but this was our very first training for curriculum writing. So I couldn't quite naturally be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take the day off because, you know. So I have another meeting today um, to actually 
get started on the curriculum writing. <clears throat> and uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm in love with green tea now. Bro. <clears throat> I'm in love with it. Like I, I don't even wake up to coffee anymore. I wake up to green tea. That's good. Trying to, trying to, trying to, you know, make those little small improvements here and there. Um, but man, yeah, it's um. <clears throat> So, yeah, I should have one. Thanks. So, we decided that we should, you know, talk about where we were both at, and especially you. Now that it's been, you know, a little more than a week since everything has come down and just to kind of get a feel for, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm still just trying to learn. Brittany asked me a question that, that I want to ask you. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I think maybe I'll start with that. So did you notice yesterday that like a lot of people were just putting like the black picture on their Instagram or their Facebook? Mm -hmm. She was asking how that, made you feel i mean and she was kind of referencing it it as like you know the people that are just kind of co-oping it to where they're not actually the people that are going to do anything but they're just people that post on social media i mean as a black person how does that make you feel when you see something like that happening let's be told we need allies so what what if if you're doing a peaceful protest where you're saying you know I'm gonna black out today and I'm gonna do it because everybody else is doing it it was yesterday it was supposed to be the music industry entertainment industry I know here in Houston our Fox News was pre-recorded they pre-recorded it the night before and aired that the day uh yesterday so we did not get any live news yesterday um on Fox on our Fox on our Fox News um, morning news show. Um, it was all pre-recorded. They recorded it the night before. Um, uh, the radio stations here all played the same thing. I felt being um, in the social media sphere ourselves, being having a podcast for educators that teach and educate and raise up the next generation of, of young black kids, young brown kids, um, I felt to do it. And as I saw other people doing it, it gave me a sense of that there are allies out here. Are there people that are posing? Yes, but it's no different than Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. It still sells a story. And you know, um, so yeah, so like I say, I feel as if, it's like there is no, I heard the president of the Black Lives Matter, Man, uh, Black Lives Matter, here in Houston say, we can't tell people how to protest. We can't tell people how to be mad. I can't say, Kyle, this is, you should only be mad this much. I can't say you should only be mad that much or be mad this much. It's based on that individual. Um, our jobs as educators is to make sure that we equip students with what they need 
in order to be able to express themselves and articulate themselves in a manner that doesn't cause destruction when it's not necessary. And I'm going to say that and put that little caveat when it's not necessary. Um, as a religious person, a pastor, a devout Christian, what was your thoughts on the president's stunt photo op? Didn't holding. think about it at all. Bible says, "Judge ye not, that so that you not you don't be judged." He has to. He's going to have to. He's going to have to answer that to a higher power. He's going to have to answer to that. Um, <clears throat> yeah. It. Um, do I think it was inappropriate? Yes. Yes, highly inappropriate. Um, he could have been like, you know, and I know people are going to listen to this and be like, well, you're supporting Joe Biden. I mean, everybody has their issues. But Joe Biden, instead of hiding and, 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 and being part of the problem, he went on the ground and became part of the solution. He's actually meeting with community leaders. He was maxed up out amongst the crowd. You know, um, <clears throat> And I think, you know, that, you know, like I say, I've always supported our chief of police here. Um, uh, you know, I love my mayor, despite what people say about him. You know, say what you want to say about him. Uh, I love my mayor. Uh, I love I love my city. And I think we uh, really kind of showed yesterday what leadership is supposed to be like. And when, re when leadership really gets involved, with the right heart, I'm gonna say that because again, your intentions weigh heavy. Your intentions weigh heavy. Um, and so, what was your intent in in going out there to get a photo op with a Bible in front of a burnt church, so that you can go put more rhetoric out, so that you can fan the fire just that much more to make it seem like these thugs when nine times out of 10, I will be willing to bet you that everything that happened over there was not started by a black or brown person. And I'm just being honest. Looking at what happened to our city and looking at all the, <clears throat> the, 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 um, the video, not people's video, but the video that, that the business owners are releasing to the police now in Houston. It is showing that most of the damage, nine times out of 10, was created by non-black or brown people. That's not what the media wants us to see, though. The media doesn't want us to see that. The media wants us to think that, that black people are mad and they're burning stuff. No, we just know that if, if, if somebody starts it, we're gonna, we're gonna finish it. And because people know that, they're going to prey on that. And that's, that's unfortunate. And that's where, you know, I believe leadership within the Black community needs to stand up and start saying, like they did yesterday at the march, God, this is not, tearing up your city does not, does not honor the memory of any of those lives that's been lost. It does not, it does not honor the memory of George Floyd. And I started researching what this big deal was with George Floyd and come to find out he was a peace activist all the time in Third Ward. He was an activist for the members of the CUNY home. He was actively talking to city council, trying to get better police coverage, get better policing in 
that community of third ward, which is a minority, a majority minority community, low income, and he was that voice for them. So how does any of this that's going on across the world honor that? The police officers, I salute the ones who got up and said, you know what, I'm taking off my ride here, taking off my helmet, I'm joining you. The police officers who are defending each other, I mean, defending, defending protesters from their own brethren. You know, and I started thinking about this last night. What would be said if you as a teacher, if I knew you as a teacher, and while you're teaching, I know that you're secretly engaging in an inappropriate relationship with a student, and I don't say anything to you or my administrators. What does that say about me? Put it in our spirit where we can understand it. What would that say about me? If I know this is going on, you're having inappropriate relationships with a student, and I say nothing. Where you're physically abusing a student or any of... Any, any, any type of inappropriate behavior. What would that say about me? That would say that I don't care. Or I was, it would say that I think it's necessary. Or I think it's appropriate. So, um, but again, our, our, our president, um, I, I'm being real cautious about, because I know me, I've always been the one to try to rush to find a judgment. Um, but this whole situation, It's rough. It's rough. It's rough. Um, yeah, where, where, where in Houston is Third Ward? Um, right to the east of downtown. Uh, if you're going down 59 or 45 going toward downtown Houston, Third Ward is going to be off to the to the east. And it's going to be um, literally east of downtown, like um, where TSU is, where University of Houston is. Oh, oh, that neighborhood they call Edo. No, no, no. That's east. That's east downtown. That's different. It's different. Oh, really? About, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Edo, Edo is something that they're, that's that's really second ward over there by BBVA. Compensated. Yeah. That's what they're calling East Downtown. Uh, but to go, Third Ward is more Southeast. So U of H, TSU. Mm-hmm. U of H, TSU. Um, trying to think of what else. Uh, I mean, I know, I know where you're saying now. It's not like I say, and, and the crazy thing is, I'm trying to think of the landmark, the biggest landmark that's there is the fact that. You know, U of, H, U of H sits right there. Texas Southern sits right in the middle, though, in the heart of Third Ward. Um, um, and so for that community to rally the way they did, um, again, is alma mater. Excuse me just a moment. Mm-hmm.
So his alma mater, Jack Yates, put together a a rally. And um he um and it was peaceful. It was peaceful in the community. So and when um Trey the Truth decided that he wanted to do the 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 big rally to show the people of Houston know this is how we're gonna honor Big Floyd. That's what everybody called him in the Third War, Big Floyd. Um that he's going to show the city that it could be peaceful. And though there was some some instances where people tried to uprise and do some things, they, the, the protesters themselves, shut that down. And then later, I heard that it got a, it started to get a little rough after the protests. Because see, that's what always happens. It's not during the protests. Usually, during the main protests, that happens. It's usually afterwards are the ones that's in the very back end of everything that causes all the ruckus. So I thought it was important for um, for Nevea. I know, again, I don't, being, being that she's going to high school, I did not want her to um, to feel a certain way and not express herself. And yesterday she made a sign for the rally. Uh, she made a t-shirt for the rally. Um, and her t-shirt says, my skin should not, my skin should not. No, in the front it just said, my skin. And on the back it said, should not put a target on my back. And she had all the different colors, the shades of black. Um, and that was her idea. Uh, and I supported her on that because she understands that her dad is a black man. And I share with you that the worst thing a father could hear their child say is daddy that I worry about you. Yeah, you said that the other day. Yeah. I'm good, daddy, but I worry about you. You know, and you know, my wife and I were talking about it. She's like, that's kind of like PTSD that you're explaining. And I was like, it very much is. But how many black men, this is their story. I guarantee you if I pulled a poll of black men and asked them, how many of you get nervous if you see a police officer get behind you? How many of you get nervous if you walk into a room and there's a lot of police officers and they're questioning people? I'm not even guilty of anything. But it doesn't take guilt. You could be having a bad day. You be having a bad day. And I think about even how I treat my own animals, my dogs, my pets. I've been bit by one of my dogs before. I didn't choke my dog out. My dog drew blood on me once before. I didn't kill my dog. So because someone had a, a counterfeit $20 bill. Let's stop there. A counterfeit $20 bill. A, not a suitcase full. So it's very well he could have gotten the $20 bill from somebody else and not known that it was counterfeit. I'm not, a, I'm not a currency specialist. I don't check every single bill that I get from the store. I don't hold it up to the light. And do, I don't do that. I'm guilty. Now, out of this, I'm going to. Because I don't want to give anybody an excuse. And I should not have to live 
trying my best not to give people an excuse not to harass me. You don't live that way. You know, so I understand white America and the people in America who, who want to, who, who are non-African-American, who want to say, this is something I want to champion because I see the ills that's taking place. But you will never know. You will never know. You know who knows? Anybody who's been to war, anyone who's put their boots on, 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 on enemy soil, Let's ask the guys when they were walking around Fallujah. You know, I think about my, my good friend, Marty Gonzalez. You know, he told me the story of how when he was walking around Fallujah, the eyes that would be on him. You don't know if it's a friendly eye or an enemy. You know, you enter a building that is supposed to be safe. You don't know if that building is marked and that the enemy's monitoring it, waiting on you to get in there so that they can take you out. So that sense of living on edge is the exact same thing that we feel every single day. And it should not be. I shouldn't have to explain to my daughter when I get pulled over, Nevaeh, be quiet, don't say anything. Do not say anything. Make sure you don't make any sudden movements. I shouldn't have to explain that. You won't have to explain that to your kids. And see, that's what I think that people are not doing. Everyone who's saying something about, oh, why are they doing this? It's not that bad. It's not like that. I would say to them, put yourself in our shoes for just a moment. Right now, the reason why the police are, are using force is because they're afraid. They're afraid. And what I'm trying to convince people is, I've always known that my skin makes me not only a target, but it also makes me a threat. And I asked my daughter and my wife the other day, and I'm gonna try to say this without crying. As I go after my doctorate, as I write my dissertation, if I'm a threat, educated or not, then what's my motivation for education? If I'm gonna live the exact same way in fear of the authorities, what's my motivation? When I was growing up, it was get a good education, move out of the hood, find you a nice home, move, you know, do this, do that, do that, change and do all these things. What's my motivation for doing that when I'm still gonna be targeted? They don't see Dr. Law driving in a car. Excuse my language, they see another nigga. And I'm just being honest. That's all they see. And that hurts. For somebody who knows that my great-grandparents helped build this country by the sweat and the blood of their fingers, picking cotton, pulling tobacco, I know that my family did that here on this soil, and yet here I am as a descendant. And I'm almost feeling the same way that they would feel back then. The only difference is now it's a little masked. They're not wearing, you know, the white hoods and burning crosses. 
They're wearing police uniforms and shooting us, still exterminating us, still assassinating us, still executing us without a jury. So, you know, I don't think anybody would really, you can't possibly begin to fix things until you have a reckoning. And I feel that this, you know, everybody's like, oh, but George Floyd was this. I said, but this is just a straw. This is just a straw. And even while we're we're protesting George, George uh, Floyd, I think it was Monday night in Louisville, Kentucky, David McEntee lost his life because cops shot into a crowd of people because they heard a gunshot. Into a crowd of people? Who does that? Our military engagement tells them not even to engage like that. You get somewhere, you hide, you find cover until you can identify the source. I've watched enough military movies. I've talked to enough people that are in the military. That's what they will do. Because they know that the rules engagement says, I try not to take out anybody who is not a combatant. But if you want to make all black people combatants, then I'm going to go to the gun store. I'm going to spend me about five or six grand, load up on me some ammunition, and I'm going to walk around here with an AK, my nine millimeter, and I'm going to walk up and down the streets protecting my own streets. I want you to know what it feels like to look down a barrel of a gun knowing that your life will be taken because somebody had a bad day. Your wife's angry with you, so you go beat me. No, man. When it becomes to that point, you're taking yourself away from an authority figure. You're putting yourself in the same situation that I'm in. So if you're fearing for your life and you're trying to protect it, then what should I do? What should I do? Should I not try to protect myself? Am I not allowed? To, you're allowed to ask me questions, but I'm not allowed to question you. Absolute authority corrupts absolutely. So, no. If you're asking me questions, then I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to engage you in conversation the same way you're engaging me. But my questioning could lead to my death. It's not, um, it's not right. It's not America. It's not, it's not. And you know, it's funny because I told my wife, I say, we don't know anything else. We were born and raised here. We know America's racist. We know that the Civil Rights Act was less than six decades ago. That's less than 60 years ago. Black people had no rights. Now, mind you, I'm 45 years old. I'm 45 years old. So you're talking about the right to vote, the right to be considered to be a human being. Forget the Emancipation Proclamation, man. Until you start really living out the words of that document, and one thing that I've been getting everybody on is how do you define all? All needs to be one of those words that has a little number or something that leads you to a subtext that tells you what all defines. 
Because right now, do I believe that we all have access to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? No. But our Declaration of Independence says that all men are created equal. Right? Yep. That all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. I mean, rights you can't get away from. Where's my life? Where's my liberty? Where's my pursuit of happiness? As I was making my post last night, I told my wife, I got emotional each time I put a name because I researched the case again. From 12 to 60, man, men and women, 12 to 60. That pretty much covers everybody I love, man. You know? It means you don't discriminate. Men, women, children, it doesn't matter to you. They're a threat. How can a 12-year-old boy in a park where he should be playing with a play gun like he should be and I watched, went back and watched that video again of Tamir Rice when I watched the video the cop said that he asked him to put it down he did not the car pulled the police car pulled up the door opened shots fired kid down And because of the fact that there's so much inconsistency in the convictions, and I get it, police gonna—they're gonna look out for their own. I get it. I get it. And my wife was like, "Well, how can we fix it then?" I say, "It's systemic racism, and the only way you can get rid of it and eradicate it is that you have to treat it like a cancer and remove all of those cancerous cells." And that's hard because people can, they can front their intentions. But the first moment you show yourself to be unfriendly to a certain population and not to another, you should be terminated. No different than if I, if I were to, if I were to get caught beating up kids, you think school, school districts are going to run down and give me a job? Absolutely not. It's going to be extremely difficult. Matter of fact, they're going to take my license. If I get into one altercation that's found that I'm in fault, as an educator, I lose my license. But as a peace officer, I can continue to serve. I can get 30 days oh. desk duty. You said what? After 12 altercations, he was still. So it's not just him. It's his authority people, people in his authority, and people who say, eh, it's not that bad. It's just a little black kid. Don't worry about it. Just a black man. Don't worry about it. Just a Native American. Don't worry about it. Just a Mexican. You know them Mexicans. All them Mexicans are rapists. Come on, man. The biggest rape that's been taking place on this planet has been by white men against other people. We're not going to forget that. We're not going to forget the, the countless number of times that you've raped not only our women, 
But in the slavery days, they would rape our men and purposely rape them in front of their kids. So that you can understand that this is what you can expect when you grow old. I was reading stories of how mothers would, if they had a son, some mothers would, would, would purposely kill their child so that they wouldn't grow up in slavery. Come on, man. Law of preservation says the one thing I want to do is make sure that I can keep going. But when you feel like what you're going to is so much worse that you don't want your child to be in it. But again, we don't tell the full story. We don't tell the full story. And for our president, our leader, to get up and say, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. For them to say that they're thugs who are breaking into, and I, I, I saved the video, and I'm going I'm, I'm to I'm send it to you because I want to put it out. The news broadcaster said, same news broadcaster saw some black people coming out of a store and said, I can't believe these thugs are just, just riding and looting the store. When she saw a white lady coming out with two arms full of stuff, she says, well, I see this, this lady coming out now. I wonder if she is an employee. So I'm a thug, but if you did it, maybe he's the manager. Why can't I be the manager? It's systemic, man. Again, throw left and right out the window. It's right and wrong. The, America cares more about whether or not I fight my pit bulldogs than if a police officer kill a black man. Michael Vick didn't even fight dogs himself. He raised them and other people fought them and he went to jail. He got blackballed. They were putting sides up, throwing blood on his doorstep and all this stuff here. But yet and still, those same people watched Joe Exotic and laughed. Downstairs. What's the difference? Pit bulls, not an endangered species. Bengal tigers, an endangered species. So what's the difference? One's black, one's white. So maybe we should start raising tigers and, and shooting tigers. I mean, maybe that's what he should have did, Michael Vick. And America would have loved him, polarized him. Joe Exotic ran for office. It's hard for Michael Vick to even get a job again. Right now, man, everybody else, everything they say, well, I... I We have to wake up. We have to wake up as a, as a society and start seeing this for what it really is. No other people, I was sharing with somebody the other day, it may have been you, there's no other people on this planet where their history is hidden from them as much as the black race. If you're an Irish American, you can trace your roots. I remember my great 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 grandfather came over and docked in in the harbor in, in in Maryland and came up and started working from the sweat of his brow. But our history, our lineage, 
the dynasties that we created as a people. It's all tainted. And when you go back and look at what they said, we have to keep the African slave as a subordinate. That was what our forefathers were thinking. This is what they were thinking. And so now that we have the right to vote, but they say, vote, oh, but if you get a felony, we can take, we're going to take that right to vote away. So we're going to make everything a felony. Marijuana is a, was a felony in most places before cocaine was. You got higher charges for marijuana cases than you got for cocaine cases. You, you, you do more time for crack that has no cocaine, that has traces amounts of cocaine compared to the actual source. So when you think about it, who is the system setting up to try to get rid of? If I put you in jail, number one, I destroy your family, which destroys your future. Number two, I get free labor from you. Uh, free labor, let me see. Uh, slavery. So now with all of this in place, now I'm armed with the war on drugs. Black men are evil. They want to rape our white women. No, man. The facts was white men were raping black women long before black men. And there's more white on white and white on black raping going on than anything. That was one of the things that stood out, you know, because you suggested that I read that stamp from the beginning. And one of the things that, like, is shocking to me because I'm only a few hours in. But when they changed the law, that if it was the father's lineage that that determined race, and they changed it to a mother's lineage, so say a white man, at the start, a white man rapes a black woman, the child would be born white because the father was white. But then they went and they made laws that stated it was the mother's the mother's race that determined race. So then it gave license to all of these plantation owners to rape and do whatever they wanted. And they could literally manufacture more slaves themselves. And that mindset in this country has never gone away. And that's what's scary. And especially for those who say, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Why are people so angry? Again, I am not a proponent of tearing up stuff. I'm not. But I do understand. If you don't hear me when I whimper, then I start to cry. If you don't hear me when I cry, I start to shout. If you don't hear me when I shout, I start to throw a tantrum. And if you've ever been around a little kid that's throwing a tantrum, a little kid that's throwing a tantrum will throw things, will kick things, will bite you, will do what, throw themselves on the floor just to get what they want. And so when America thinks about everything that's going on across this country, you have to understand, you didn't hear our whimpers in the 60s. Instead of hearing our whimpers, you heard them 
but you killed our leaders. You said that the Black Panther Party was the greatest threat to American civilization? Okay, let's see what they did. They, they mobilized the Black community. They pushed to eliminate Black-on-Black -black crime. They spoke against using drugs and alcohol. They started community programs where they actually fed people in the community who, who were low income and who couldn't, who couldn't do anything. They started self-protection programs so that women and men could understand how to defend themselves. They taught people the law so they can understand what the police could and couldn't do. But this is the greatest threat, according to then FBI director, the greatest threat to American society is the Black Panther Party. Where's the threat? Unless America's society is black man, stay in your place. I told my wife, I should be excited that there are police officers that sit in my neighborhood. I should. But I don't. Because I don't know. They may try to say, oh, somebody said, they, and they, they did this, and I was so glad that it wasn't, it wasn't African-American. Not so glad. It was unfortunate. But when they do the whole no-knock warrant, where they can get information from somebody else to say, yes, I know this is it, and literally they can burst in your house without knocking, without announcing themselves. Well, I'm sorry, Kyle. If anybody burst through your door in the middle of the night, Right now, in Stillwater, right now, what's your first reaction going to be? I'm going to the gun safe. Absolutely, 100%. And anybody who's coming through that door if, is if going a to window, If a window breaks or a, I can hear a door get kicked in. So why would it be any different for me? Why should it be different? It, 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 like I say, man, it, it's a part of a bigger conversation. I was excited. Our pastor last night had a conversation with uh, Mayor, with Mayor Turner um, about what we can do. And, and, and you know, it's not something that's going to, you know, we can't think no sit and snap our fingers and everything goes, goes away. It's not going to happen. It's going to take people waking up, voting. Excuse me, and making decisions for their future in the appropriate way. And when I say that, I refuse at this moment, and I told my wife this, I will not spend my money in any business if they don't support the Black Lives Movement. It's crazy. I, there, there are people posting here that um, that they won't support KFC, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut because the owners um made huge donations to Trump. But if you want to hurt a system, fastest way to cripple a system, especially a system that militarily has more might than you. You know, you got to go back to Sun Tzu, the art of war. If your enemy's big, that means he's exposed. If you're small, that means you're concealed. So you got to use what you can 
So what you do is you stop spending your money in these places. And we can't just make it about Trump. I tell people it's not. Trump is, is just a manifestation of an American system. He is the manifestation of privilege. He is. And he's a manifestation of inappropriate privilege. Again, I can't sit here and say that if I knew that, have I been to places based on my name and made it? Yes. Just simply on my last name because my grandmother said, Oh, I said, Granny, well, I'm up here in school, you know, I don't know nobody. Well, you a law. So if you if you need something, you go to any church of God in Christ. This was my grandmother's words to me when I went off to college. She goes, I don't care where you are, find the nearest church of God in Christ, go tell them who you are, and have them get in contact with me. And I'll never forget, I was in Austin and Bishop Lee Dell Thomas. Never met this man in my life. Never met him in my life. I was in I was in a bind. I looked him up. I called him. I say, I know you don't know me, Bishop Thomas, but my name is Wilkie Law. He said, stop right there. He said, Bishop Law was your grandfather? I say, no, he said, Bishop Law was your father. I say, no, Bishop Law is my grandfather. I say, Mother Eloise Law told me that if I ever needed anything to find a church of God in Christ, he said, say no more. What do you need? That's privilege. So I can't sit here and say that I didn't benefit from being privileged, being a teacher and having a daughter. I was privileged enough to be able to say, I want to select my daughter's teachers. That's privilege. But when you abuse your privilege, when your privilege puts other people in binds or in bounds or in coffins, that's when the problem comes in. We're always going to have privilege. There's always going to be people who are going to get things and do things because of a certain thing or another. But it's totally, totally different when what you do is putting a damper on somebody else. And that's where the issue comes in. Major issue, man. Major issue. It has been, um, like I say, when I, as I posted each one of those names, I told my wife, I said, I'm tired. I said, I can't believe that I still have more to go. So if I'm tired of just putting the post into an Instagram post, how much more tired are we as a community that we have to? I remember to, I mean, you, you are really the first black friend that I've ever, I mean, like I've had black friends before and I should say Tia, like Tia is a really good friend of mine. And I had some friends in college, you know, when I taught with a lot of black people, but you were the first person I ever was like really, really close to. And there were a couple incidents or not incidents, but a couple of times you told stories that like really were the first time it ever came into focus. The first one was when we were on our way back from Albuquerque the first time and we were driving through those cotton fields of West Texas and you like you damn near had to pull over like you were so upset. And then 
I don't remember who we were talking to on the podcast, but you talked about how, I think it was maybe Gary, one of the times we've had Gary on, that you told the story of how you had to, like your mom taught you that when a police officer comes, you just sit on the curb. No matter what happens, you, you know, those were like, and, and I can say as someone who prior to my time in Houston lived exclusively in Caucasian communities, like I knew, I knew black people. I mean, I had a few friends in college that were black because I had buddies that played on the football team, you know, and, but like getting to Houston and working with African-Americans and working with Hispanics, you know, you start to contextualize it, but like to have, it really didn't come into focus until it was someone that I really like, I'm so close to you that I can envision like, like when you tell me a story, I can put myself there because I know you and I know what you've been through. And I, it, you know, like to contextualize it that way. And I think that's the biggest problem with, you know, people that grew up like me, if they don't, if they don't ever have the experience, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't. And it sort of reminds me of when I got to, got to Houston, like I knew that that world existed. I knew what, you know, that's, um, I'm trying to think of what, what part of town is that MacArthur, you know, uh, like, that's in, uh, uh, far east, near east. Yeah. Near near, what, uh, yeah, east, east, east Aldean district. You east know, Aldean. in East Aldean, like you comprehend that neighborhoods and schools like that exist, but you can't understand it until you're there. And, and I think that's the, has been the biggest challenge for me personally is the getting the experience that's needed to understand what people are really going through. And I can never actually understand or feel what you've gone through, but I've experienced it enough to know that it's real. And I think, you know, like you're saying, that's one of the biggest problems we face is there's a huge population in this country that don't, that don't believe it's real that don't believe it's as bad as it is and now you know we were talking about this you know over the last week the way our world is where everything is on video it's the first time that millions and millions of people are seeing how real it actually is that's that's the ticket and you know i think about the difference prince would say the revolution is being televised yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I would have, I would have never guessed that Minneapolis, Minnesota would have been, you know, the epicenter of the entire world. I mean, Minneapolis for, I mean, it's, it's a pretty indescript city in the Midwest. Like, it's a nice city, but when you think of Midwestern cities, you don't jump to Minneapolis. You probably go Chicago, Milwaukee. Indianapolis, you know, Detroit before you think of Minneapolis. And, you know, it's become the center of the of the known universe. Here's a funny thing. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Anywhere there are 
African-Americans, black people, brown people, you're going to have that injustice. And the fact now that we've migrated and we, we, we occupy so many different spots within this country means that that systemic racism, that institutionalized racism is following and it's growing. And again, I don't, I, don't, I, I don't rush to judgment, but I do look at facts. If you're gonna make a diagnosis, I'd rather you make a diagnosis, not off of what you feel, but what you see. And if I had to diagnose America right now, I would say that America is filled with a cancer right now. And that cancer is not so much racism as it is injustice. I can deal with you being a racist, but just treat me fairly. You don't have to like everyone. You don't have to like everyone. That's a, as a, as a, as a minister, the Bible demands, God gives us a commandment to love one another. Nowhere in the Bible does it say I have to like you. Like means that I'm going to spend time with you. Like means that I'm going to find a commonality between us. Love means that I understand that we're linked no matter what. One of the statements that I put in my, in my dissertation was the interdependence of the human, of human beings is what makes us successful as a species. Humans are not the strongest. We're not the fastest. And based we, don't on some sharp, we don't have sharp claws. We don't have... Our teeth are pointless. If you're talking about getting into a fight with somebody who, whose teeth are equipped for war, <laughs> you know... But what we do have is the ability to come together. And the moment we come together, things change. You can start building communities that pushes out the animals. So wait a minute, America. Are you saying right now that you think that black people are still animals? Is that what we're saying? Because that's what, I mean, think about it. You move into a community, First thing they do, they cut down the trees, get rid of all the grass. So that means that any grass-dwelling, grass-eating animals have to leave that area. I cut down the trees, so that means any tree-dwelling animals have to leave that vicinity and go to the outskirts. Where I can go look at you, but I don't have to live with you. Come on, man. And I can look at you. I can even steal your culture. Everything about American culture right now was formed and shaped through hip hop music, which was shaped and formed through the black experience. You can't watch a commercial without some kind of hip hop influence. You can't watch a movie that doesn't have a hip hop influence. You cannot. And what is that? That's other people making money off of the experience of black people in America. But yet still we're treated as animals. We're treated as animals. Again, was I expecting anything different? Should I expect anything different? 
or should I accept it for what it is? I can't. I told my wife that. I say, it's hard to sit and accept it because I have a daughter and I want the world that she lives in to be different than the world that I'm in. I can honestly say my daughter is not, she's biracial. You know, she, she part Dominican, part black. Her friends run the gambit. She doesn't, she, she, she doesn't discriminate. Oh, oh, I'm not gonna be around them because they're, I'm not gonna be around them because they're this. I'm not gonna be around them because of that. In Texas, the word Tejas means friendly. That's what te Tejas means, friendly. When you look at the definition for friend, a friend is someone who shows himself to be friendly. That's what, that's what the definition, you look up the definition, someone who shows himself to be friendly or shows himself to be a friend. That's what a friend is. So can I say right now that America is a friend of black of the black man? America as a whole, no, you can't. What I see it being is a pillager of the black man. Did you read um, uh, Tanahasi Coates' uh, "The World Between You and Me"? Yeah. with the reference to like the body um you no know. mm -hmm. great book I, I finished that i think i finished that one last summer well i you know and and ibram x kendi you know who you just finished reading the stamp from the beginning and then he also has a book with jason reynolds called stamped and he has one more and i had three i had three credits left on my audible and i was like I gotta, you know, I gotta put all the business books aside. I gotta, I gotta really like dig in here and dig deep. And this is our business, Kyle. It is. Next year, our task is gonna be applying oh, oh. applying context. To young black and brown kids for what's going on right now. One think, you know, you were talking about my social studies class. Think about what the year's gonna start with. COVID, George Floyd, and then by the time you get done with that, you you have an election, which is going to be probably the most highly charged election that for sure either of us have ever seen, and probably anyone it's probably going to be the most highly charged election ever. You know, with a president who is already sowing seeds of doubt as to whether or not the election is legit. But, isn't it, but, but again, I, I, was, um, I was going back through... Um, some of my old pictures, and I ran across a, a picture that says, 
Um, I think you wrote this. I think this is yours. Ways to fail, to make sure you fail. Was that you? It was on a whiteboard, and it was a picture. So I thought it was you, because I know that's your thing. You're a whiteboard writer, and I love that. Uh, (laughs) But it said... um, It said, um, three ways to make sure you fail. One, blame everybody else, your mistakes. Two, um, complain all the time. And three was something that's do nothing or something like that. But I started thinking about that. And I say, Right now, our leader would be better off. He feels better blaming other people than owning his wrong. Than owning his wrong. But and I was I was watching something. I don't. I think it was maybe an MSNBC show or something. And he like they trace it back that he's never he feels like he's always won anytime he ever loses anything or ha- makes mistakes. Like he just spins it and, you know, does that. But, you know, the thing I think is important too, is that we can't associate, we can't associate like Trump with this, like we're not in this situation because of Trump. But like you said, um, Simon Sinek did a really good interview right after Trump was elected and explaining why it happened. And he was just basically saying what you said. He's the manifestation of what America really is. He is the manifestation of a system that over 400 years has taught us that all of his virtues are good. He did. You said he did an interview with that, or was that on his? Um, it was. Uh, it was an interview with London Real. Let me find it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all the way up, 52. That's how many books the average CEO. Good people. Do you want you want me to send it to you or you want me to play it? Either one. It doesn't matter. Okay. Bad around. Yeah. Um, I have to ask you about Donald Trump before we go because you wrote an article about him. Yeah. And you said some fascinating things about television. One of them you said. Did you hear that okay? Mm-hmm. That is that people watch TV, they don't listen to it, which really reminded of myself. And you said people don't love who Donald Trump is, they love who he's not. Correct. And Hillary Clinton should be worried. Uh, Briefly, tell me your thoughts on the Trump phenomenon. Right, I'll break down both of those things. So um, the Republicans did a remarkable job for the past decade or so marketing uh, anti-Obama. 
I mean, Mitch McConnell himself stood in at a press conference and said, the single purpose of the Republican Party is to deny President Obama any wins. So he say, basically said, we we've aligned an entire political party against someone versus for the people. That's really screwed up, right? They made this whole concept of being an insider a dirty word and an outsider the most brilliant thing in the world, that all outsiders are saviors. And they used fear as a tool for short-term gains. Well, congratulations, all the marketing worked. You now have the consummate outsider who is, who is the consummate anti-Obamaist, who is uh, using fear to advance his personal selfish gains, and you let the genie out of the bag. Like, congratulations, all your 10 years of marketing worked. They laid the foundations for this. That's number one. Number two, we can't neglect the power of the screen. You know, uh, uh, political historians often talk about the Nixon-JFK debates which are the first televised presidential debates. And what's so interesting about them is anyone who listened to the debates on the radio thought that Nixon won. But everyone who watched them on television gave the win to Kennedy. And the famous bead of sweat that, that rolled down Nixon's face versus Kennedy was dry and comfortable. All right? um, we don't listen to presidential debates now, and politics is not played out on the radio. Politics is played out on television in morning political shows and press conferences and sound bites and YouTube and, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We largely watch politics. We don't really listen to it. We, you know, we don't read it as much as we watch it. Um, nobody wa reads the transcript of the debates, right? You miss them or you watch them, right? And the people who are advancing are the ones who are the most telefriendly. Um, they're good looking. They're tall. Uh, Governor Kasich is a moderate. He's a fantastic governor, has remarkable success as a governor. He's got an incredible reputation as, as, a, as a consensus builder across party lines. And yet he's absolutely abysmal on television. And guess what's happening? He's way behind. I mean, you know. Um, and at the end of the day, Americans are completely sick of all politicians. We've had ineptitude for uh, more than a decade. Um, the approval ratings are in the toilet for 15 years. Um, we see nothing getting done. We see we see selfishness over selflessness. We see their own political priorities over doing good things for the country and for us. We're just sick of all politicians. And so Donald Trump, as you said, he's not popular for who he is. He's popular for who he isn't. He's not a politician. And that's it. It's not a vote for Donald Trump. It's a vote against everyone else. And they should all be ashamed of themselves, all of them, Republicans, Democrats. Now, there's the other side of it which is the question that must be raised, which is, are our politicians a reflection of us? Are our politicians a mirror raised to us? And should we be the first to throw stones, or should we be first, or should we accept that maybe we get the politicians we deserve? And if we want them to change, maybe we should change ourselves. Maybe we're the ones who are divisive. Maybe we're the ones who are narcissistic. Maybe we're the ones who are putting our interests ahead of the interests of everybody else. And if you look at the way that we're raising our kids or running our companies, I don't know if we can say that we're better. And so maybe instead of demanding that they change, maybe we should demand that we change and take some accountability for our own actions, and maybe then we'll get the politicians we deserve.
Uh, that is very well said. Uh, and this comes up a lot on this show. We talk about sometimes drug policy. I've had Dr. Carl Hart in here, and he has a great TED Talk. Said uh, It's called uh, Let's Stop Abusing Drug Users. And uh, it, it always comes back to our policy. You can say it's wrong, but it is a reflection on us. And I believe somehow our own self-hatred of our own desires and wants. And it's it's very complicated how you know, that happens. Uh, you know, a, a narcissistic population get, gets narcissistic politicians. Yeah, I know. And why do we respond to that fear in Trump? It's it says so much about because us. we use it ourselves to get to get you know work out of people. It's I mean it is the predominant it is the predominant business philosophy of the day. Hit the goal, get the bonus. Hit the goal, get the bonus. Hit the goal, get the bonus. Underperform out. That is a fear based, dopamine based system. To watch the rest of this fascinating interview, click. on... Product of the system. Now think about this. If they're saying he's the manifestation of that system, so am I a manifestation of the same system. So am I. And again, it has to change. It's not about Trump. It's bigger than Trump. It's bigger than Trump, man. Right now, Trump's not the one out there beating those kids, shooting those kids, shooting those men, choking them out. Trump's not behind that. If you go back and look at the numbers in the people that were um, that were killed, Trump came in office in when? 2012? No, no, no. no. 16. So 2016. I don't know what I'm thinking. It's 20. 2016. Most of these murders... We got 2014, 2014, 2015, 2012, 2013, 2008, 2007, 2015, 2015. So this is not a new problem. It's not a new problem. It's not a Trump problem. It's an America problem. America problem, you know, um, but even if you go back to the 80s, when Trump, when the Central Park Five were prosecuted, you got to remember, President Trump called for those boys to get the death penalty. Those five innocent men, five innocent boys who became men in prison. President Trump called for their execution because there were five black men who raped a white woman in Central Park. And he took out a full billboard requesting that these boys be sentenced to death. That's our president. And they were later exonerated, right? Completely exonerated, based on DNA. Imagine if he would have gotten his wish. There would have been five more innocent names I could have added to this list. 
and I didn't even go back that far. I mean, I would, I don't, I would, would not have time to go back to the eighties. There's not time. You know, last night I was inputting up until midnight because I was so determined to get all of them in, but I was also so determined to go back and read the stories. I was so determined to go back and read their stories so that when I say their name, I understand what I'm saying it for. And I think if more people would actually do that, is a counterfeit bill worth a man's life? Jeffrey Epstein ruined the life of so many young girls. So many young girls. And it took them almost 10 years to even get him, more than 10 years, after they knew what he was doing, to even bring charges on him that would stick. Bernie Madoff stole billions of dollars from people. And no one called for his execution. So again, if I'm a threat educated or not, What's my motivation? And think if I'm thinking this way, and this is after 12 years of high school, six years of undergrad, three, two and a half years of graduate school, and now two and a half years, two years into doctoral studies, if I'm thinking that, what about the person who didn't graduate high school who's just raw emotion? But again, it's systematic. Strip away the black man away from the community, the community falls apart. They know it. They started implementing this strategy when they brought slaves here. That's what Willie Lynch told them. You have to make your slaves govern themselves so they will keep themselves in check. Go read the Willie Lynch letters that, they, that he wrote when they talked about controlling slaves. We can't control our slaves. Oh, I'll give you a way to control them. Public lynchings. Time to the post in the middle of the yard, invite all the slaves out there and whip them in front of all the slaves. Those are stories my great-great-grandparents told me about. See, nobody can fathom that America. We don't want to talk about that America. We don't want to talk about the America that raped full-grown men in front of their wives to emasculate them, to kind of say, if I did this to this one, what do you think I'm, what do you think I'm going to do? Well, he's strong as an ox. That's where a lot of those terms come from. So again, it's bigger than George Floyd. It's bigger than Donald Trump. We're, wrong. We're mad at the wrong people. We're mad for the wrong reasons. We should have been mad. But we've been letting it make it. You know, it's like almost like somebody sits there and they do something. It's like, okay, I'm going to let you make it this time. I'm going to let you make it because I'm, try, I'm trying to be the bigger one. I'm going to keep taking the high road. How many times do we keep, how many times do you ask me to take the high road? How many times do you ask me to take the high road before I finally realize that taking the high road gets me nowhere and I might as well jump down there with you, beat the hell out of you, make you feel the way I feel? Then what? And that's the scary part. Because again, before any true change happens, there has to be a reckoning. 
America's gonna have to America's gonna have to open up her her, her chest of secrets and be exposed for what she is. How you gonna call for other countries to stop being violent toward their citizens when you're telling states, if you can't control your populations, I'm gonna deploy the, 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 the US military? If that ain't, uh, what's, the, what's his name, Bull Connor? Was that his name? Hmm? Is that, was, was that his name, the sheriff, Bull Connor? I don't remember. I think it was. Yep, Bull Connor. Mm -hmm. Theophilus Eugene Connor, American politician mm -hmm. in Birmingham, Alabama, strongly opposed the civil rights movement in 1960. This is making me want to go back and watch Selma, too. Movie Selma, but like I was really. The, uh, do you want to really? Do you really want to understand it? Let me tell you. Let me be honest with you. Have you ever watched Roots? Alex Haley's Roots. Mm -mm. Okay. You really want to understand what we're going through? Watch Alex Haley's Roots. He did a masterful job. If you want to read the book, the book is even more compelling because there's more detail in the book that they didn't put in the movie. But this is a book. This is a, a movie that we watched as kids. You need. You need me to go? Are you good? Sit down. Um, we watched this as kids. From the historical standpoint of understanding that this is where we came from. This is what happened to our forefathers, our ancestors. What'd you say? Our kids don't watch it now. Mm -hmm. That's part of history we don't want to talk about. Don't you go up those stairs. Sit down. Don't you go up there. You're good. Go sit down. So, um, and I think that's where America has gotten. I keep, I'll sweep this under the rug. I don't want to talk about it. We'll talk about the Holocaust before we talk about slavery. Because we're seen as the hero. Mm hmm But what happens when the light is shined on America? And that's what's happening right now. And I think that that is where, that's where the difference is gonna be made moving forward. Can America really, really, truly own their mistakes? Can they own their wrong? No, Duke, Duke, sit down. Um, can they really own their wrong? Sorry about that. My dog thinks that anytime somebody goes upstairs, he's supposed to go. Um, do you do you mind if I upload this or share it with my kids so they can listen and kind of hear the perspective of someone? Because I think absolutely it'd... not, man. Absolutely not, man. I you need to put it on YouTube, put it out there. Um, man, I I, I know for a fact. If we're speaking on change, if we're speaking on making a difference, the difference starts with us as educators in the classroom. I read Casey's article and he's so right. We as educators, we have that power. 
we have the power to shape that. You know, there. I know for a fact there were kids who said, I've never been around black people before. This is Hispanic kids. And I was their first experience with a black man for real. And they've heard a lot of negative things about black men. But as an educator, they saw, well, wait a minute. All this stuff you're saying, Mr. Law is nothing like that. You know, in, in, in college, you know, befriending a, a, a neo-Nazi, you know, we called them skinheads back then, uh, uh, who had swastikas all over his body and being able to sit down and have a conversation with him and him saying, I've never really had anyone who wanted to understand why I believed what I believed who didn't look like me. Again, I'm not going to judge you. I want to know. So America, if you want to know, open up your chest. Shake out the cobwebs, blow all the dust off, get all the sneezing out, and expose your hand of all the things that you've done. It's well documented. It's well documented, but it's hidden. It's hidden, and that's not a far left thing. That's not a far right thing. That's a right and a wrong thing. And the Civil Rights Act said that it was wrong for people not to be able to vote. It was wrong for people not to be able to eat in the same restaurant. It was wrong for people to not be able to use public transportation. And here's the funny thing. When we did say, okay, we accepted, we accepted segregation. We accepted Jim Crow. We accepted all this. So we built our own bus lines. We built our own banks. We built our own restaurants. You say we can't eat in yours, we'll build ours. You say we can't do this, we'll do ours. And the moment we did that, systematically those were destroyed. Just watched a great documentary on Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma thriving community was the source for the entire country of black financial wealth in Tulsa, Oklahoma burned to the ground because of a suspected black man that they thought had did something. You know, and I love the video that's circulating now of the FBI agent. And I know it was an older video. Um, I'm thinking it had to be an old video because I didn't see anybody with mask on. I tell people all the time, if you're looking at videos, I tell my daughter, before you start running around saying what people are doing, look in the crowd. If there's no one in a mask, then that's not right now. Because people, there's going to be at least one or two people in a mask. But I didn't see anyone at that time. But he did say something powerful. The cop was harassing him and asking him questions, not once asking for his ID. Not once asking for his ID. He said that you look like someone, look, you look like you have warrants. I think you have warrants. And the FBI agent, black man from Sudan, looked at him and said, is your name Jake? I think your name is Jake. He said, no, my name is not Jake. He said, you look like a Jake. So then you're a Jake. He said, do you see the absurdity in that? Now, once did you ask for my wallet? The, the first time an ID was mentioned was when he said, he said, my ID, he said, why don't you check my ID? And then the cop said, well, where's your ID? He said, it's in my back pocket. He opened the back pocket and saw his, his, his credentials for the FBI. So what, was your, what, what, what made you think 
that he had a warrant. You look like someone who could, and it reminds me of like that that scene. And I got to read Just Mercy, the book as well, because you said the book is like way better. But like the scene where um, the guy is played by Ice Cube's son, uh, um, O'Shea Jackson. Um, But he like said that he went to jail for 27 years because the cops, when he was in a lab, says, you look like you did it. Mm -hmm. And he was in jail for like 27 years. Because you look like you did it. So what makes me look like I did it? Because I'm black? So again, systemic. If we want to fix the problem, open your book of secrets, America. Admit that you were wrong. Admit that you were wrong. Admit that slavery was wrong. Admit the treatment of slavery was wrong. And you know, I'm you know, I've always been one to say, you know what, just stop looking for reparations and stop doing this here. But at this point, think about this. They paid out, I can't remember which one of the cases, like 18 million dollars to settle out of court a case. I believe it was in Minneapolis also. Um, that they paid out back in 2005 or 2000 for a wrongful death case. Another case, $16 million. Another case paid out $20 million. So you're telling me you'd rather pay this money out in wrongful death cases than to admit that the system that we're currently under is wrong. Rather than letting the police officer go to jail. Rather than letting the police officer go to jail. Because letting the police officer go to jail is admitting there's a problem. And that in itself is the problem. My famous statement that I tell my kids every single year, own your wrongs so you can move on. You know, that David Goggins book, uh, one of the things that he said in his book, uh, one of his challenges was, um, uh, why, what did I go through as a child that's holding me back right now? He says, until you own your shit, until you own those issues that you have, until you own everything, it's impossible to move on. It's impossible. And asking someone to move on who had not dealt with what they were dealing with in the past is going to create more problems in your future. I wonder what would happen if a person like, and I know this would never happen with him, but someone with the type of following that Donald Trump has where they are just loyal to his every word, what would happen if he said, you know what? Yeah, we screwed this up. This is real. These things have happened to people. This is this mistrust is happening. Hmm. How many people would believe it at face value? And, and automatically, just automatically, oh, now it's different because he said it. Yeah, but Richard Sherman said it. Richard Sherman said that he was excited that that other non-blacks had spoken up. Mm-hmm. Um, because hearing it from my voice is different from hearing it from your voice. 
So you see why I say we need allies? That's why I tell people all the time, all cops are not bad cops. Just like saying all white people are not racist. You know, and, you. and then for the people for the people who try to say, oh, well, black people cannot be racist. No. No. Black people are racist too. No. No. That's that's that finger pointing. But you're racist because you don't like white people. I didn't even know white people exist. Black people didn't know white people existed until they came to the African continent. Let's call it fair. Racism started with here. Was there always some type of issues? Yeah, there were always ethnic issues in Africa. You know, in Africa, they don't judge everybody's black, so they're not judging on skin color. They're judging on the size of your nose, the thickness of your lips. You know, you get into South Africa, they have different, based on your color, I mean, you could be black, you could be you could be white. You could be uh, uh, colored. I think colored. that's what Trevor Noah called. Yeah, tre- yeah. So colored, colored is what we would call mixed race. Right, a mulatto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, when you start thinking about it, all of that, all of the, that labeling, and all of that, that here in America started when they brought slaves here and said, "These are not human beings. They're like they're livestock." They're livestock. But if I were to start breeding my dogs and doing with my dogs right now what America did to slaves, how long before you think PETA and the ASPCA would, would jump down my neck and try to do something to me? Hold on a minute. Sir, sir, come over here and sit down. Sit down. No, don't come to me. Go sit down. Sit down. Thank you. Um, what would happen? That exchange I just had. You see, I, I gave him a, I gave him a directive, mm-hmm. and this is an animal, and he did it. But look how I asked him. I didn't run over there and say, "Sit your get out the goddamn." But that's what we get so many times. That's what we get so many times. Yeah, man, it's crazy. So it's um, again, we have to do something better. We have to do something different. And um, and yeah, it has to change. You know, I've been listening to uh, the Michael Jackson. And he says, we're going to make a change for once in my life. But then it starts with looking at the man in the mirror. And I think if we all looked in the mirror and said, change. Change your backwards mindset. Change your belief that, that Black people are not human and not worthy of success and life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Change that. We have the power to. It's the beauty of the human mind. No matter how ingrained, and people like, oh, it's been ingrained in them for so long, da, da, da. You take 100 black kids under five, five and under, 100 white kids, five and under, 
100 brown kids, 100 red kids, 100 yellow kids, put them all on a playground together. Five and under. Guess what they're going to do? Play with each other. Hmm? They're going to just play with each other. Ain't they're going to play. They're going to play. Because in them, they don't see at birth. Like I told you, if we strip away all of this away from us, there's no difference between you and I. Nope. Your blood's my same as mine. So again, Martin said it that one day people be judged by the uh, not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And we're still living in a day where the color of my skin is my sin. The color of my skin is my sin. So what you uh Welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Law, where we are sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode.